this evening, um, I have the privilege of leading off our series uh, in the Psalms. And this is going to be a wonderful series for us to jump into because the Psalms, they are the hymn book of the Bible. And as we begin our journey through 2021, the Psalms are going to be helpful for us because they invite us to worship God in all circumstances. I'm sure many of you have read different Psalms, so you know that there are Psalms uh, that are uh, Psalms of of, um, of joy, and there are psalms of sorrow, there's psalms of anguish, and, and even, even some psalms where we're asking God to, uh, to judge. And um, right, so the psalms are a wide expression of emotion, and, um, it, and they cover all sorts of circumstances. These psalms, they're important because they teach us about God. They remind us of his goodness, and they help us understand how we can communicate with God, and ultimately, even when our faith is frail, they remind us to hope in God. So these truths are truths that can encourage us during this extended period of trial that we've had basically since last March. So we pray that this study will be a blessing for all of you as we wait on the Lord and trust in him to bring us through the pandemic and everything that is going on in the world at this moment. So without further ado, let's uh, begin our journey through the Psalms together as we begin with the very first Psalm, Psalm 1. Psalm 1. It reads this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful for this evening, for allowing for all of us to gather here together uh, to worship you. And we pray that as we study the Psalms, that we would uh, be mindful of the lessons that you have for us. And this evening, as we study a Psalm that that uh, implores us to uh, heed wisdom and to delight in your word, we pray that we would be those people who delight in your word. Uh, we pray that you would be glorified this evening, that you would be honored through the preaching of your word. And it's your sons that we pray. Amen. Well, whenever we get into a new year, whether it's the beginning of the calendar year or the beginning of the lunar new year, some of the typical sentiments that are expressed as we turn the page to the next year are the themes of happiness, prosperity, and success. Now, not every year has the same level of awful for everyone. Uh, the idea, though, is uh, that many of us when we come to New Year, we're looking for an opportunity for new beginnings and hopefully uh, a better life for the upcoming year. Naturally, we crave happiness and blessing in our lives. The pursuit of happiness is literally an, an inalienable right, according to the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and that's also, you know, Thomas Jefferson didn't come up with that. That's from John Locke. Uh, the hashtag, hashtag blessed 
is not only something that people use on social media to demonstrate how blessed they are or how blessed they feel in the moment, but it's, it's also printed on cups and stationery so that other people can know that we're blessed just when we're lifting up our cup to drink. Right, so whether we uh, have intended it or not, we have made happiness the chief end of man. Now, God he intends for his people to be blessed, yes, but perhaps his idea of blessing and our idea of blessing are not exactly the same. While the outward appearance of blessing might seem apparent, we, we also know from instances in the Bible, like the success of the wicked people that Asaph noted in Psalm 73, success is not always a true indication of blessing. This evening, I would like to present to you God's invitation to have true blessing in your life. And we're going to see more of what this blessing is like as we observe two lifestyles to consider if Christians desire the blessings of Yahweh. Two lifestyles to consider if Christians desire the blessings of Yahweh. So the first one that we're going to look at is the lifestyle of the righteous, followed by the lifestyle of the wicked. Simple outline, um, and, but it'll be good. Okay, so the first point is the lifestyle of the righteous. Psalm 1.1 says this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, as I alluded to in our prayer, Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. It's meant to teach God's people about righteousness uh, and about what honors God, what pleases God, much like the opening nine chapters of Proverbs. And as such, the psalmist writes to instruct us on the way that we should go to please God. As I'm sure you've already noticed, the words blessed and happy have already been used a little bit interchangeably this evening. And that's because the word blessed, which describes the righteous man, can also be translated as the word happy. Now, many of you are familiar with this idea from the life of Jesus as he preached the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. And he was saying, blessed are, are these people. And I'm sure you've heard in other sermons that the word blessed was probably uh, better translated as happy, right? Just, just, uh, it's just the same thing here in Psalm 1. Just like in Jesus' sermon, the idea here in verse 1 is that the people who do what is right, they are happy or blessed, right? When we do what is right before God, there is a sense of contentment. There's a sense of peace. There's a sense of joy when we approach life. And so, Psalm 1, being a wisdom psalm, uh, it's, it's giving us a truism. When, when we, you know, a, a truth that's generally true in, in life, when we do what's right, we will be happy. We will be blessed. We will feel the, uh, we will experience the blessing uh, of the pleasure of our master. Now, it is true that sometimes doing the right thing doesn't always feel good. Right? We don't always feel good when we do what's right. We don't always feel bliss. We don't always feel uh, exuberant or joyful um, when we've done the right thing. Because sometimes doing the right thing is hard and it can cause some pain. But what we recognize, though, is that we are blessed from God's standpoint. Right? He blesses us with his pleasure. He blesses us with the knowledge that we have acted righteously and that he is going to reward us in his time and in his way. 
<clears throat> Sorry. So what do we have to do in order to receive this blessing from God? Those who wish to be blessed must avoid the lifestyle of the wicked people who reject God and his authority in their lives. And the psalmist describes how believers can be mindful of avoiding the way of the wicked with three parallel pictures. So you have the picture of uh, walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the path of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. If we don't want to be like the wicked, we have to avoid these three things. And so these, these pictures help us to understand uh, the, the entire picture of how people can reject God in their lives. Those who walk in the counsel of the wicked are those who listen to what the world has to say about life and adopt the world's outlook and the world's philosophies into their own outlook and philosophy on life. When we talk about being wise, and making wise choices. Is our wisdom defined by the scriptures? Does it come from the scriptures? Or is the wisdom that you operate by something that you've gained from social media influencers or lifestyle gurus or your best friend? What do you value in life? Why do you value those things? These are all things that we have to consider because the counsel of the wicked is prevalent. And we often tend to entertain the thinking of the world without even knowing it. Why do we hold on to some of the things that we hold on to? Why are some of these things so important to us? Those, um, you know, the, those philosophies and, and, um, and um, goals that we are, are supposed to do by the time we're 25, by the time we're 30, you know, and, and so on and so forth. Where is that coming from? Where's that wisdom coming from? More often than not, it's not coming from scripture. It's coming from the opinion of man. And so we have to be mindful about the counsel of the wicked and, and whether that the counsel that we're receiving is worldly counsel or whether it's godly counsel. Now we also see uh, about, uh, we also see the next picture, right? Standing in the path of sinners. Those who stand in the path of sinners are those who not only take into consideration what the world teaches and what the world lives by, but it also has decided to act on those things, to adopt those teachings. Right? They, we, uh, these people have functionally become disciples of the world rather than of Jesus Christ. Or those who sit in the seat of scoffers, they don't just do the things that the wicked people do. They've adopted the very attitude of the world and have become mockers of God and of righteousness. And they might not necessarily be uh, outright atheists, but they can be the ones who pick and choose what they want to believe about God and what his word says. And essentially, they live a life of, did God really say that? Or my Jesus would say this. My Jesus would accept this. Right? Those are the ones who have a spirit of mockery. Uh, those are the ones who are scoffers. So if we truly want the blessing of God in our lives, we do not obtain it by living like those who deny his existence and his authority. 
We try through the power of the Holy Spirit to live in worshipful obedience to God, not because we have to, but it's because we love him and we want to. And there's a difference there. Obedience is hard, right? It is. But it's ultimately an act of worship to our Lord because we're recognizing that even though it can still be very difficult to live by the power that the Spirit provides, we try to do so because God is worthy of worship. He's worthy of adoration. And he's worthy of our commitment because he is the only true God. And so the happiness that we receive, it's linked not only to avoiding the lifestyle of the world around us, but it's also contingent on our response to the law of Yahweh. Let's read verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. The psalmist wants us to know that the happiness that God provides cannot simply be achieved by a radical commitment to avoid the world at all costs. And if that was the case, Christians should make it our goal to move to the mountains and to isolate ourselves like the monks and the nuns of Roman Catholicism did. However, we know that we're not to swear off the world, but we are to be Christ's representatives in it. In John 17, 16, Jesus remarks in his prayer that his disciples are not of the world, just like he is not of the world. However, we recognize that we are in the world just as he was in the world. And we can affirm with great confidence that Jesus certainly was in the world as we are now, or just like we are now. But he did not live by the philosophies of this world. He did not adopt our way of thinking. He did not adopt our lifestyle. He did not adopt our approach to scripture. Instead, he models for us verse 2 of Psalm 1 as he honored and lived by God's word. The ones who are truly blessed by Yahweh are those who delight in his law. And as a result of their delight in the word of God, believers will reject the worldviews, the lifestyles, and the philosophies of the world. So instead of getting caught up with the newest things, the newest trends that are being taught in the world, like, for instance, the importance of self-care, self-esteem, and any other philosophies that put us in the center or on the throne, Christians ought to delight ourselves in the word of God, reserving for our center of worship, God himself. And that's a different approach to life, that we're not king, but God is. And, and, and we ought to focus on what his word says, not what the world says. More often than not, you and I need to humble ourselves rather than to exalt ourselves. We need to discipline ourselves more to love the Lord rather than to take a break. The psalmist, he uses the word law to describe the word of God, but it's not necessarily limited to the first five books of the Bible, which are considered the law books, but it can refer to the instruction from the entire word of God. 
And so the attitude that we are to approach the word of God with is one of delight or of pleasure. And we delight in the word of God because we recognize that it really is a treasure because it's from him, right? It's, it's given to us by him to help us understand who he is. Right? And how he wants us to live, how he wants us to respond to him. Now, I understand that it's not always easy to delight in the word of God. Right? We don't always approach our Bible reading time with excitement and joy. I don't know anyone who wakes up in the morning and says, man, I cannot, I cannot wait to do my Bible reading this morning. I don't know anyone who wakes up like that. Right? And, and, you know, this... Um, you know, this, this um, approach to reading the Bible, right? Um, sometimes the, the reason why our approach is not excited is because we might know that our Bible reading for the day is familiar or it's difficult. Or perhaps as we're reading through, you know, it's January 8th. So some of you are in Genesis 8, I, I, I guess, right? Um, is As you're reading, you're just like, this is completely irrelevant to my life. I don't know how to apply this, right? And, and so, um, when, when we're told delight in the, in the word of God, you're just like, I, I want to, but I don't know how, because this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't seem like it's for me, right? So it seems like an impossible command to obey, but brothers and sisters, delighting in the word of God takes a disciplined mindset. Uh, it's a skill set that we have to pick up and learn. And if you need help with that, we can help you with that. Right. But ultimately, you know, as, as we as we look at the word of God, it requires a big picture perspective. We have to be committed to that. Right? If the scriptures truly are the very words of God given to us so that we may know him, what he is like, what he has done, what he is doing and what he's going to do, then we have to do the hard work of asking the right questions so we understand what God wants us to do with the word that he's given us. And we know from 2 Timothy 3 that all scripture is profitable for our lives, for the entirety of our lives. And so that's why we have to be disciplined to do the hard work of, of asking the right questions to figure out how it's profitable to our lives. And yeah, sometimes you might need some help. You might need a, study, a good study Bible. You might perhaps need uh, to take a fundamentals of the faith class so that you understand uh, the word better. Uh, you might need to, to sit in adult one to understand theology better. Uh, that's one of our Sunday school classes, by the way, if you're new. Uh, or, you know, just going to Sunday school would help, right? Because um, uh, uh, adult one does a general Bible overview and adult two does uh, just a in-depth Bible study. Adult three is for the more mature believer. Uh, you don't, uh, you don't want to be with me in middle school and high school, Sunday school, unless you want to serve them. Right. But, but basically, right. Sunday school can help with that, help us understand what to do with what we have in our hands. So just an unashamed plug for Sunday school. But anyway, right. This is why though, right. That the fact that the word of God is relevant to our lives and the fact that it is powerful and it, and if, and it is impactful, this is why the psalmist tells us that the blessed man, the one who is happy, the one who is truly at peace is the one who meditates on God's word day and night. Now the psalmist is not telling us that we ought to have a silly smile over our faces as we mindlessly, as we're mindlessly happy about having a Bible in our hands, right? Even though that is a great privilege. 
nor are we talking about mindlessly muttering Bible verses to ourselves, hoping that we'll somehow change because of it. The act of delighting in the scriptures comes when we think about the word of God and apply the word of God to our lives. We're supposed to think about it. You don't just uh, read it or listen to it, let it go in one ear and out the other. We're trying to think about it. We're trying to think about what it means, how it relates to us. And we're also trying to apply it to the word, uh, to, to our lives, right? That's how we will eventually come to delight in the scriptures. The word meditate refers to the act of thinking about aspects of the word of God and what it means, how it applies to our lives, how it gives us a better understanding of what God is doing. Meditation ultimately uh, is, can, can be summed up as this. Meditation on God's word is the purposeful, proactive digesting of truth that helps us grow in godliness. Brothers and sisters, you're never going to hear me say, don't listen to sermons. You're never going to hear me say um, not to read your Bible. Right? You can read your Bible a lot. You can listen to a ton of sermons. And I will be so happy for you. And I'll be so grateful that you're listening to the Word of God and that you're, you're exposing yourself to a lot of the Word of God. However, exposure, broad exposure to the Word of God without meditation, without application, is not as profitable for us. Right? It's kind of like if you decided to, um, to sit down to a fancy meal whenever we can do that again, right? But you sit down to a fancy meal and instead of savoring each bite, you woof it down and you barely let it touch your tongue. It's already, it's already in your stomach before you put in the next bite, right? That's kind of what it's like when we just when we just cram the word of God in, into our lives. And, you know, you can get some nutrition from it. I'm not denying that, okay? You can get some nutrition from it, right? But if we are not purposeful, if we are not proactive about digesting this truth, figuring out how we're going to apply it to our lives, it doesn't matter how much Bible you put into your brain because it's not reaching your heart. Okay, so meditation, application is so important. You can have a Christian who knows a lot of facts about the Bible, but who lives basically like an unbeliever, right? That is possible because we're not digesting. We're not applying. Okay, so this is something that we ought to, to strive to do. Now, I'm sure some of you have heard uh, this, um, this story, or um, I, I guess it's in a story, this illustration in some form or another before, but uh, until the invention of the printing press, many people did not have a personal copy of the Bible. Right? They didn't have a, a physical Bible like you and me. Right? We were privileged to have one of these, but you know, not only do we have one of these, but we have one of these and so on and so forth. Some of us, if, if uh, we have study Bibles in our homes, we probably have uh, multiple Bibles, right? Uh, I, I'm sure many of you own at least two Bibles, if not three, if not four. But until the printing press came about, people didn't have a, their own personal copy of the Bible. Their only exposure to the word of God was perhaps at a worship service. Right? So how did they delight in the law of the Lord if they could not do Bible reading? Let's do that second half of verse two. They meditated on it day and night. 
you know, in the morning time, perhaps in the evening time, it's not, you know, constant, you can't do anything else, right? But it's, it illustrates the fact that we are to meditate on the word of God throughout our day, right? Uh, they would, they would, uh, these people would grow in, in their knowledge of the scriptures and their knowledge of God by thinking about what they've heard, reflecting upon what they've learned during worship as, and doing so as they're going about their lives, Right. When they're commuting on their way to work, when they're putting their hand to the plow, whatever that is, right? That's how we apply the word of God to our lives is we're, we're thinking about it as we're going through our daily lives. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I know sometimes we try to do this and, and it's hard. And yeah, I'm not going to deny that, right? But as, as we try and digest this, right? Uh, just, just digest what you can, right? Um, and, um, and take it slow, right? If you can, uh, if there are only a few lessons that you can take from, from a sermon, um, take those lessons, right? Uh, uh, Pastor Henry, Pastor Ray, and, and myself, we're, we're trying to, to at least give you application points throughout the sermon so that you can hopefully latch onto one of them right? and start to think about how you can, uh, how you can live that out. And basically, we, we all need time in our lives with the Lord, in our day, when we're not listening to music, when we're not listening to someone else's thoughts about scripture, uh, or you know, world events, or whatever, or you know, watching someone else play video games or or, or whatnot, or we just need some time to personally sit down or or walk. If you're um, if you're a kinetic thinker, I like walking while I think, right? Um, and, and to personally reflect upon God's word so that we don't become just hearers of the word of God or readers of the word of God, but fail to live out his words in response, right? So even though it's hard, if we choose to discipline ourselves, to delight in God's word by meditating upon it and living it out, God will bless us and he'll help us He'll help us fight off the temptation to sin. Let's look at verse three. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The analogy that the psalmist compares the one who delights in the word of God and meditates upon it to is a fruit tree planted by streams, or more likely, uh, canals of water. So notice, though, from this grammar, that the tree did not just randomly grow in its place on its own. It was planted there. Someone put it there on purpose. Right? It was specifically planted by an irrigation stream so that this tree would always have access to water. And so as a result, remember, this is Israel, even if uh, even that there were times of drought, uh, or if it was times of plenty, this tree, no matter what, is going to be healthy, right? It's going to bear its fruit in its time. Uh, even if it is super hot, even if there is a drought, the leaf will not wither. Um, yeah, no, it doesn't matter what the environment was, was like, right? This tree is going to be healthy. This was what the person who, uh, who, meditates upon God's word and delights in it will be like a tree that is fully healthy at all times. That's kind of the picture that the psalmist is giving us. The happiness, the blessing that we're going to have is going to be sustained even in times of harshness, even in times of lean, 
uh, uh, of um, lean circumstances, uh, of uh, heat, because it's not a happiness, it's not a blessedness that is contingent upon having great circumstances around us, but it's a happiness that relies upon, that is based on God himself. We know that God is doing something in our lives and that he's going to accomplish those purposes for our good, for his glory, and to fulfill his great big salvation plan. Right? When, when, uh, when we think about what God's doing in our lives, sometimes we only want good stuff. But sometimes we fail to remember that God can accomplish good stuff through the hard stuff. Right? He can teach us through the hard stuff. He can make good out of the rough stuff. Right? When we look at that last line in verse three, uh, in, in whatever he does, he prospers. Or God's not promising that we're going to have unparalleled financial, relational, and personal success in whatever we put our hands on because we're blessed. Right? That's not what he's promising. A better translation of the word prosper is the word success. And so what God's saying here is that he's going to make sure that we have success, but not necessarily in a worldly sense, although that is a possibility, uh, but mainly in the sense that we will be successful in doing God's will in our lives. We'll, we'll be successful in accomplishing God's purposes in our lives. And for those of you who want God's blessing in your life, for those of you who want the happiness God gives to his saints, we have to consider how God gives us those blessings. And, and those, those who are truly happy are those who avoid the lifestyle of sinners by finding their delight and satisfaction in God's word. And if we want the blessings of God, we must strive to be people who actively strive to love God as we obey his word and live by it. Now, we've just considered the first lifestyle if we want God's blessing, right? If you want God's blessing, this is what we have to do. God tells us very clearly that this is how we ought to live our lives. So now we move on to the second lifestyle that we have to consider if we desire the blessings of Yahweh, and that is the lifestyle of the wicked, the lifestyle of the wicked. Now, if you want to think about it this way, the first three verses of Psalm 1, basically they're a positive motivation uh, that we consider to pursue God's blessing. These next three verses, they function kind of as a negative motivation, something that demonstrates the superiority of pursuing God's blessing through a lifestyle of righteousness. Right, so when we look at these three verses, we're meant to be, we're, we're meant to look at these verses and say, no, I don't want that. I'd rather have the first three. Okay, so let's take a look at the lifestyle of the wicked to see why it is better for us to live like the righteous. Okay, verse four, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Now, uh, again, when we look at the first three verses, which describe the one who is righteous, um, we would probably expect an equally detailed description of the wicked here in these latter three verses. You've probably thought, uh, man, Pastor Rogers going a long time. This is uh, really, uh, you know, these three verses, those are just three verses. How, how much longer are we going to be here? Right? Well, there, we spent a lot of time there because the psalmist spent a lot of time here. When we look at these three, three uh, verses in the bottom half of Psalm 1, 
we, we notice that the psalmist, he actually does not spend much time describing the wicked. He only gives us two verses, right? While those who are righteous are those who stay away from sin and delight in God's word, those who are wicked are naturally the opposite, right? They're the ones who ch- consciously choose to live a life of sin. And like Paul says in Romans 1, they are the ones who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness by refusing to acknowledge God or give thanks to God. Now, unlike the righteous people who were compared to a tree, the wicked are compared to chaff. Chaff is the outside part of the grain crop. They kind of protect the precious kernel of grain in the middle. It's the husk that surrounds the grain kernels. And so in order to get to the part that we can eat, farmers would use a winnowing tool, like a pitchfork. And so they would get a, get a nice um, uh, pitchfork full of, of crop and they would throw it up in the air. Right? And so as when they throw the, the crop up in the air, uh, the, the chaff, it's the outside, right? It's super light. Uh, it flies away with the wind and the, the, the kernel drops to the floor. And that's the, what they would uh, use uh, for food, right? But chaff being light is ultimately useless. It blew away. And if it was collected at all, it was burned because right? you don't do anything with it. There's nothing for you to do with it. It's useless. Uh, it's useless stuff. And so as you can imagine, that's not a favorable comparison, right? Compared to a healthy fruit bearing tree, something that is strong, that is immovable, you don't want to be chaff. You don't want to be something light and dispensable, something that is destined for the fire. But those, uh, those who are wicked, that's what the psalmist compares them to. Ultimately, when their time is up, they're going to be done away with. They're going to be judged by the Lord. You don't want to find yourself numbered among the wicked because God regards the wicked as those with no substance. Here today, gone tomorrow. And as a result, the psalmist writes in verse 5, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So the wicked, these people are unrepentant. They're lost in their in their sins by their own choice. And as a result, they will not be able to stand in the holy and righteous and, by the way, completely fair judgment of God when the time for judgment comes. There is no defense that they can make that will acquit them or lessen their punishment. There is no price that they can pay to be bailed out. There is no penance that they can make that will save them from the judgment to come. At the end of the day, those who are wicked are going to be judged for the rejection of Jesus Christ. They're going to be judged for the sins that they've committed against God. You might object and say, well, what about the ones who haven't had a chance to hear the gospel? Well, for those, if they've not had a chance to hear the gospel in lives, they're going to be judged according to their own willful choice to violate their own conscience and do what they know is wrong. We all have a sense of that. Even growing up, right? We know what is wrong, right? You can tell a two-year-old no when they're approaching an electrical socket and they're trying to touch it and stick stuff in there. You can tell them no and they'll hear you and they'll stop, right? But the moment you turn away, what tends to happen? 
They go back and they're reaching for that electrical socket. They're trying to see if you're watching. They're trying to see if you're paying attention. Right? They're testing you. Right? Those who have not heard the gospel, they have chosen to sin in their lives. And so they will be judged for that at the very least. Either way, we know that every single person is guilty of sin. There is no one who lived on this earth except for Jesus who can say that they lived a perfectly sinless life because Jesus alone had a sinless nature because he was fully man and fully God. The only way that one could possibly stand in the assembly of the righteous is if your sins have been forgiven by God through Jesus. Otherwise, as we see here in, in the latter half of verse 5, there is absolutely no way that sinners will be able to stand in the assembly with the righteous in the end. For no one can say before God that they were truly innocent except Christ. Now, verse 6 provides the final warning to those who live a wicked lifestyle. As the psalmist writes this, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So what we see here is a further explanation as to why the wicked will not be able to stand in the judgment or be in the assembly of the righteous. The psalmist tells us that Yahweh knows the way of the righteous. And by using Yahweh's personal covenant name here in verse 6, the psalmist is indicating there is a sense of close connection between Yahweh and those who are righteous. Uh, it doesn't reflect here in the slide, but the word Lord is supposed to be in all caps, or capital L-O-R-D. And that is a, that's, um, that's a sign for us that in the Hebrew, we're using God's personal name here. Right? So there's a sense of intimacy that's here. And this, this intimate connection between Yahweh and his people is uh, also demonstrated through that phrase, uh, Yahweh knows the way of the righteous. Uh, this emphasizes that it's not just an intellectual acknowledgement, right? It's, it's not that God just kind of like, yep, yeah, okay, I see you. It's not just that. Right? His knowledge is relational. It's not just an intellectual recognition of the righteous, but it is a relational relationship with the righteous. He has a deep love and care for the righteous. And therefore, those who have obtained their righteousness through faith in God, we have intimate fellowship with God. Can you imagine that? For those of you who have believed in Jesus Christ, we are considered happy and blessed when we love God. And this happiness, this blessing that we receive, that we get as a gift from God, it is tied to a very real and personal relationship with God that will never be able to be interrupted. We can't be taken away from him. We'll always be with him. And when we go to heaven, we're not just going to be, you know, happy people living our lives, um, you know, without God. Or we're going to be with him himself. 
And we're going to have the privilege of knowing holy God face to face, of seeing him and seeing the king in his beauty, of, of seeing his glory shown, not just, you know, you read Revelation, it says that the glory of God is throughout the whole earth. It's not just isolated to where he's at at the moment. It's going to be all over the place. And the, the knowledge of, of knowing Christ, knowing God, Face to face, knowing him forever, that is itself the very definition of eternal life in John 17, 17. Right? That is joy everlasting. That's the thing that makes you happy and blessed, even when it's hard. He knows us in that way. We will get to be with him. He will wipe away every tear. He will heal every wound. This is the wonderful thing that our Lord will do for us because he loves us and he has an intimate relationship with us. However, unlike his relationship with the righteous, Yahweh does not have a relationship with the wicked. He does not even acknowledge their way. He doesn't acknowledge their lifestyle. They do not get the privilege of knowing him. What they've earned for themselves instead is death. Eternal punishment and eternal separation from God because their sins are an infinite offense against an infinite holy God. Like I said earlier, God's judgment is fair. It's not overkill. It's a proportionate response to the sins that have been committed against him. Because he is incredibly holy, because he is infinitely holy, infinitely righteous, infinitely worthy of worship, any sin against him is infinitely offensive. So when he judges sin, it's not overkill. Eternal punishment from God, it's not overkill. It's an entirely fair and proportionate response to the sins that we've committed against him. And that's why Psalm 1 closes with a somber warning for those who have ears to hear and for those who have understanding to understand. If we see the two different lifestyles of the righteous and the wicked before us, we have a choice as to how to respond to God's revelation. And if we recognize that he is willing to bless us richly in himself, we must choose to walk in the way of the righteous. If we want that, we must choose to live in the, in the way of the righteous. However, if we refuse to walk in the way of the righteous, what we must understand is that there are no alternative routes. Even if we think that we are decent people who try our best to do what's right, we are still on the path or still on the lifestyle, in the lifestyle of unrighteousness, of wickedness. And the only way out of that path of wickedness has been, provide, has been provided to you by God himself. The way out of the lifestyle of the wicked, the lifestyle that is doomed for judgment and death, is through faith in Jesus Christ. And I plead with you, I beg you to consider what God has said in his word about the danger that we are in because of our sinfulness, but to also acknowledge that he loves you so much that he gave you a way out through Jesus Christ freely. This evening, we studied Psalm 1. We saw that God himself has revealed to us his invitation to blessing. He wants to bless us, and he's inviting us to receive that blessing. 
we all want to live a blessed life, not only in this new year, but we want to be able to have this blessed life for the rest of our lives. So if you want that, God has made a way for you to to, uh, to, to have this true blessing and true happiness through Jesus Christ. And as we examined, uh, as, we, as we saw today uh, through the lifestyle of the righteous and the, and the lifestyle of the wicked, true happiness and blessing cannot be found outside the worship of the one true God. Now, we might be able to experience temporary blessing and happiness here on this earth, but true blessing and happiness can, uh, can be found in him alone. It can only be found in him. Right? The lasting blessing and happiness can only be found in him. Any other sense of blessing or happiness that we might experience here in this life is temporary. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's like the flavor of your favorite gum. It's there, it's pleasurable for the moment, but eventually it's going to fade and you're going to be left with nothing but a, a tasteless piece of gum in your mouth. So if you're here this evening and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is applicable for us because I think we can all admit that we don't satisfy verse two. Right? We don't delight in the word of God all the time. We don't meditate on his word as we should. Right? We fail to do this. We all fail to think about how we ought to apply the word of God. You know, sometimes we go into, uh, into Sunday or we go into Friday, we hear the sermon, and we're like, that was a good sermon, and we move on, right? Uh, that's all of us, me too, right? All of us do that. And we're not going to be perfect in it. There are going to be some seasons where we're going to do really well, and there are some seasons that we're going to struggle, but we have to make it our aim to please God by delighting in him and in his word as much as we can in this life so that we can experience the pleasure of our father and to demonstrate his great worth to the world. If you're here this evening and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, again, I beg you to carefully consider the love that God has for you. He's willing to provide salvation at his own cost for you. He's willing to provide that for you. And it costs him not nothing, but the life of his son, Jesus, who willingly substituted himself and took on the punishment that we deserve so that when we believe in him, we might receive his righteousness. So if you choose not to believe in God tonight, it's okay. I'm not going to force you. I can't force you. But I want you to be aware that God's offer of mercy and grace, they don't stand forever. There is an expiration date that only he knows. And so this offer, it only stands for a limited amount of time. So if you choose to continue on in the lifestyle of the wicked, know that while you might experience temporary joy and happiness, the way of the wicked is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. Without Christ, there will be no ultimate joy or peace in this life. But because of his love for you, you can be forgiven of all of your sins and have eternal life with God. And so please consider his love for you today. If you're a believer and you tend to be walking more in the way of the wicked than you are in the way of the righteous, then I beg you to stop living in the way of the wicked. Right? Stop being more wicked than you are righteous. And apply the word of God to your life. Don't wait but apply it to your life today. Consider how you can grow in holiness so that you can get more of God now. Let's pray.
Our Father, we're grateful to you for your word. We're grateful for uh, just how it reminds us of your worth and of your glory, of your worthiness to be praised and of the treasure that you are. We pray that, Lord, you would help those of us who are believers to strive to delight in your word because we know it's a treasure. Not because we think it's a treasure, but because we absolutely know that it is a treasure. And we pray that you would help us to apply these truths to our lives, that you would make us more like Jesus so that we can experience your joy and your pleasure so that when we go home to heaven, we don't have to be ashamed of what we've done here on this earth but we will be able to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So we pray you help us, Lord, to love your word, not just, in, not, just, uh, not just through our words, but in our deeds as well. Help us not just to say it, but to actually mean it and live it. And for those who uh, are not saved this evening, whether they've joined us uh, through the invitation of a friend or, or whether perhaps through this sermon, they've realized uh, that even though they've thought they were a Christian, they, they aren't. We pray that, Lord, you would save them this evening, that you would have mercy on their souls, that you would help them see how much you love them and, and that you would bring them to yourself. Pray that you would help them to see what deep trouble that they're in, that they would repent of their sin, believe upon Jesus and be saved. Thank you, Father, for this time. We pray that you would uh, just uh, bless our, our time of discussion afterwards. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.